Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. everyone it's bitches on comics again we're back again i don't know what number this episode is but it is an episode that is closer to 200 than it is to 100 and that's a lot of episodes i'm always so happy to be here i'm sarah century i probably should have said that first but (laughs) you'll be happy to hear that i have a guest with me and it's not just going to be this for the whole episode And I would love for you to introduce yourself. This is a returning guest, so we've got a returning <laughs> Yeah, I'm wearing my here. belt, actually, my big shiny gold belt. Uh, hi there, <laughs> this is Anthony Oliveira, PhD culture critic, Dumpster Raccoon. Congratulations on your somewhere between 200 and 100th episode. <laughs> <laughs> and congratulations to you as well, because you're here for it, and that's important. Uh, whatever number it is, it's important that <laughs> yes, you're the one who I'm got this I'm profoundly one. <laughs> and deeply honored to be here for this tremendous milestone. <laughs> we've tried to do like milestones a few times and it just is always like uh well it's a podcast (laughs) it's like no guest is better than any other guest right like you have to have an egalitarian look except for me because this is a great honor except well i don't want you to diminish this honor that i'm receiving right now yes that's correct stop trying to tear me down (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) i need this sarah i need this You know what? I need to celebrate a win. (laughs) We're getting a win here. And yeah, so we're here to talk as as we usually are on this podcast. That's usually what people do on podcasts Uh is chat. I'm juggling the whole time, by the way. Listeners can't see this, but you were doing a little like head like dance while like we were waiting to start. And just so you know, I was I saw you do it and was immediately doing it. You were doing my little chicken dance. Silent. Silently sitting here bobbing our heads to complete silence. I was like, I realized you wanted that silence for the microphones or whatever for the sound people. And I like had to bob my head so that I was like suppressing the need to talk. Yeah. (laughs) Like a chicken. Don't say anything. And it's like 15 seconds. But if somebody tells you not to talk for 15 seconds, then that 15 seconds becomes an eternity. Exactly. The worst, the worst impulse. Yeah. I must fill every silence. Yeah. (laughs) which is great for podcasting (laughs) you know what yeah same here yeah i think this is why both of us are frequent cerebro guests it is true (laughs) congratulations on that particular milestone eight congratulations yeah oh man and turning 40 on the air like in quotations was just a very (laughs) interesting experience to have because we're both just like madeline 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 just like yelling (laughs) madeline's name again and again basically like that's pretty much what the podcast was if I could sum it up it's just me and Connor being like Maddie Maddie we're like the Scott Summers of that yeah that story you took breaks we went we went we took breaks for Kane Marco that was like a full eight hour shift down at the X-Men mine (laughs) (laughs) yeah digging for X-Men gold and (laughs) for that ruby crystal of Sidorak, Sidorak, Kidorak, Kiterak (laughs) I don't know we never decided 
Yeah, this is the newest episode of Cerebro. So I'm very excited because tomorrow I'm going to be hanging out in my studio doing a lot of like cleanup because my studio isn't a constant like a train just hit it zone. Uh So I'm excited to be like, oh, clock out that seven hours. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm just going to listen to this podcast and hear about our fave, Kane. Yes. This is now a podcast about another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's kind of fun, right? Yeah, you wouldn't believe how many of my podcasts turn into that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, but Cerebro, that means that we're always connected by the X-Men, right? And so, of course... It does seem to be how we meet. We did the the Gray Malkin Lane about um, our good friend, the Black Womb, right? Just the other day. God bless her. Our good friend, the black womb. Just such a funny sentence to exist. Friend of the pod. Yeah. (laughs) The black womb. I'm like, literally, yeah, I show up to things yelling, she's Gambit's mother, I swear. And like, just people are like, what are you talking about? It's like, at a certain point of X-Men fandom, here's what we can talk about. At a certain point of X-Men fandom, you're just a total weirdo, even to people who love X-Men so much, because you're like, okay, I don't know that the Amanda Mueller is Gambit's mother sure, thing yeah. is something that a lot of people are picking up on. I was explaining who Ozymandias was today. <laughs> where it's like, Ozymand- you know, Ozymandias, the human that Apocalypse punishes for trying to kill him, who was supposed to be Pharaoh until Kang the Conqueror displaced him. And it's like, God, who am he I for? Cool what was I made for? I'm like the Barbie song where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> why do I exist? <laughs> Why do I exist? And it's like, well, I tell you what, there's a lot of X-Men comics during my and existence. So. Somebody had to read them. And it, yes, it <laughs> somebody, had to be us. <laughs> somebody had to care this much. Yeah. Like, just a weird amount. Yeah. I always think the about point that. where the writers are like, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm like, here's I, what you were thinking. <laughs> If I may, if I may, like jump in, like if I may, I have theories. (laughs) (laughs) It's like whenever I was a kid and I first got into X-Men, people will be like, how'd you get into comics? And it's like, yeah, people who I knew read comics, but there was nothing that really justified how much I loved comics. Yeah, it's like the Scholastic Book Fair rolled into town and it was like a witch's curse. <laughs> just like gently kissed onto my forehead that I now yeah. must be this person for the rest of my life. Yeah. It was like I was Scott Summers and I had just seen Jean Grey and we were just going to ruin each other's lives for the next 40 years. And that's what happened. Well, you know what they say. Find something you love and let it kill you. And I think we've both, we've both, Scott Summers did that and so did we, I think. <laughs> The X-Men simply will not get off of our necks. No. And that's just how it has to be. So, I, well, I mean, you know, we could talk about the fact that you write comics. That's a thing. It is. It is true. I do do that. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Not as often as I'd like. But, right. Yeah. But when they ask, if, I come running. Editors, pay attention. Um, but the ones that I have read, I have, I read the Captain Marvel one recently. Yes. So that one just, just came out. And I'm very excited to talk about that. Let's talk about Carol Danvers. Do you like Carol? Did you always like Carol Danvers? Where are you at on the Carol Danvers? Oh, this is such. I love her so much. Um, I, <laughs> I, I am an intense researcher. Like I, I yes, just, I do. It is a habit that I have developed for academic reasons. But um, if you had asked me even like eight months ago. If I had a take on Carol Danvers, I would have been like, "I what? Like, I don't <laughs> like. I think I'm the first dude to write her in like 
eight years. I mean, to the extent <laughs> that I am a dude, you know, like whatever. Like, right. I'm a dude the way Mr. Potato Head is a dude. Like if you shake out these pieces, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm losing my shit right now. Oh my God. That like the visual that came along with that description. Yeah. Okay, please like, continue. <laughs> like I don't, like to the extent to which I ever articulate my gender, it's like, well, I was packaged with these set of like parts and also like, this hat and I guess this is my hat but like these things are removable I'm not wedded to any of them um but so I never imagined (laughs) I'd be writing Carol as like the main character of anything um and then when uh Sarah Brunstad came to me and was like do you want to do this one shot about Carol it's like the idea was like it's uh an all ages like you've just come out of the movie and you want something to pick up that isn't going to be like drowning you in lore um, that like you could buy it, your kid could buy it. And it would be like a fun little like entree to her world. And I was like, oh my God, like, um, okay, let me go read. And I went and read like every Carol comic I could. But of course I had the base coat in my head because I like grew right. up reading Chris Claremont. So like no matter how many decades you layer on top of Carol, to me, it's always... At core, like Claremont is the one who set the DNA of that character to me. The X-Men sure. Carol is the one that lives in my head and lives in my ears. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to do something about that kind of brassy. Um, I thought it was going to be a different thematic story than it ended up being. I thought I wanted to do something about like what it means to be like the soldier on the wall, like the person who feels like they're protecting um, this world. And instead it ended up being a more interesting story, I think, which was about like the person who, I mean, to me, Carol is in a deep state of PTSD, I think from her, um, her time in the military, her, what's Mm -hmm. fun about writing Carol is like, unlike many of the characters I've written before, she doesn't have, she's not innocent. Right. If you're a fan of Carol, you know she's done terrible things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I like the idea of writing about a character who has done terrible things, but who has in their mind a sense of like, I want to keep people innocent from having to do the same terrible things I had to do. Um, so she's interacting with Wiccan and Hulkling, um, who she reads as kind of naive, but she wants above all to protect their naivete and to sort of help them realize this dream even as the kind of operations of um, the military industrial complex that undergirds all right. empire sort of bring themselves to the surface. In the version of the story that we ended up doing, she's the one who says like, you will not corrupt another world. We're going to give these kids a chance to do what you never let me, for example, be, which is the innocent. So mm-hmm. that's how that story emerged. But I, yeah, it was, it was fun to that. get to know her. Like, that's what it felt like. It was like, this is my new friend, Carol Danvers. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> my new bestie, who I am obsessed with. Yeah. I love Carol. I started reading comics. I don't know uh, what your timeline was for starting to read comics, uh, like Avengers style, any of them, but uh-huh. When they relaunched the Avengers in like the late 90s after Heroes Reborn. Yeah, that era, like the George Perez art just being so beautiful. But she's in it and she has, I believe, uh, that's when her alcoholism kind of rears up. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's an interesting era to get started with because you're like, oof, this is rough stuff. Also, it's like, I'm 12, you know, like you don't (laughs) totally know what you're reading, I guess. But she was always a fascinating character and like very fallible, right? So there's something about that character who is so morally fallible, but will fight for you to the very end. That's baked into the character. And Claremont being one of the first writers who even worked on the character back in the Miss Marvel series is like... Kind of an interesting thing, too, because I think that, as you say, it's a character that he really did kind of form. Yeah, it's, she's fascinating because she's had so many lives, right? Like, she's been Warbird. Right. She's been Binary. She's been, she's been the, like, editor. editor of a women's magazine, which is, like, <laughs> the era that fascinates me the most. Yes, same. Love it. Like, J. Jonah Jameson just being like, why would I hire women for this women's <laughs> magazine? It's just, like, wild stuff. Yeah. And she, she is fun because she really does fuck that job up, right? Like, if nothing else, like, she is horrible at that job. It's like, she's doing the, um, she's like, ha- sex in the city, trying to have it all. Like, um, <laughs> what's her name? Misty kills her boyfriend. All, throwing the hat in the middle of Times yep. Square. Like, uh, it's it's the era that I feel like is the hardest to revisit because she's sort of she has kind of calcified in the public's mind as like oh yeah the the vet the like you know right the, the pilot and stuff and it's like well no she was a spy for a long time like, <laughs> <laughs> she has takes on like bylines um she dates Wonder Man at a certain point oh, like this yeah. woman has been everywhere But that kind of character who very recently has been so defined by uh, newer creators is like, this is it. She's Captain Marvel now. We're going forward. And that being such an iconic story as well. But having this kind of moment where it was like, okay, let's solidify who this character is. Because I feel like before, as amazing as she is, like she really is just kind of like going from like trauma to trauma for a very, very long time. (laughs) And so you mentioned that early, like in the Captain Marvel comic, where it's just like, my dad, you know, like, whatever he was mad, he'd let you know, basically. And just he's kind of like, that tells me all I need to know. I didn't need to see a scene that goes back and shows me like all of the horrible stuff she lived through. So I was curious about that, like just kind of talking about a character who really has been through so much trauma Mm -hmm. in her life, that kind of difference of writing. Yeah, it's a... It's something I thought about actually a lot going into this um, this story. Uh, so the the comic opens with a flashback to Carol running away to go see to go to Car- uh, Cape Canaveral to watch a NASA launch, um, and the speech actually the moment I didn't invent that moment. It's a it's a story she tells as binary to Colossus uh, in the Claremont mm. run um, about how when she was a kid she wanted to watch the space launch because um, she always dreamed of going out there. Like that's sort of the way Claremont is positioning that character. She transitions into being binary and being like the space explorer, which she also has become ever since. But in the original speech, uh, that moment you talked about that I quoted is um, when dad found out he beat the tar out of me. And I, that's a hard beat to hit the reader with in a cold open. Especially yeah. for children. Um, but I knew I wanted that to be what the story is about uh, in many ways. The the bad guy of the story is the supreme intelligence, like the Cree supreme intelligence. Right, like, right. Um, 
And I can't stress enough how much like creative liberty Marvel gave me. They were like a thing about Captain. Everyone thinks like, oh, because of the movie, they wanted you to do this and they wanted right. you to do a switch. And like, you're a gay guy. So they made you write Wiccan and Hulkling. And it's actually like, actually, I asked for all the, that furniture because I was like, if you're going to tell a story about Carol, I feel like you want to start with the Kree Supreme Intelligence. And I chose that character because they're like a wacky, you know, Kirby-esque idiot design, right? Like it's a big blob with tentacles coming out of its head. Yeah. That's like a fun comic book villain. But they're also, like they are fascism. That's to me what they are an icon of. Whenever I use right. the Kree Supreme Intelligence, it's always quoting Wilfred Owens. <laughs> There's always passages <laughs> from these World War II poets or World War I poets in its mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, the Kree Supreme Intelligence is, is another of Carol's bad dads. Like it's another, yeah. including like the U.S. Army, including S.H.I.E.L.D., including God Homeland Security when she worked for them. Like she has been interpolated into these malevolent systems. She's, she goes, she joins the Army. Uh, she joins the, the Air Force because she needs a way out of her shitty town and her dad won't yeah. pay for her university because he thinks only the boys should get to go to school. And she made a deal that has been haunting her ever since in, in my mind. And I think that I wanted her to be thinking about what it cost to escape these situations, that she escaped one shitty patriarchy and just found another when she's always just been looking for something better. And that's what this comic was about, looking for something better and like fighting for, finding something worth fighting for, I think was what I wanted to think about. Do you have, okay, so Claremont is going to be your favorite era, is that right? Uh, not my, well, not my favorite era, but a defining era for me. Sure. Um, uh, I read, I sat down and read all the Kelly Thompson stuff uh, in mm-hmm. like one go and was like messaging That's being stunning. Like, <laughs> this is so great. And I made my boyfriend do the same. Like we were like, yeah. sitting on the couch reading all the Carol Danvers stuff published in the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever the first Captain Marvel movie came out, I was writing for Sci-Fi Wire. So Carol Danvers definitely like paid my rent for a few Ah, months. And (laughs) thanks, Carol. Um, A true ally. But I almost feel like every era of Carol is kind of my favorite minus Civil War, too. But it's like all of the other eras, like she's just kind of like struggling, I guess. And there's something about her that it's easy to sympathize with with i think yeah i it she's she's really interesting to me because you see all this mcu um discourse about like oh she's overpowered and all this stuff and like they never use her because she just wins and it's like yeah but she has the most interesting psychological profile yes of a lot of these heroes in a way she's a kind of character that uh marvel doesn't have a lot of which is a character who is at once incredibly optimistic and incredibly forthright about their heroism, but also has seen a really dark, like her best friend is Wolverine. Like she has seen, she has done and seen pretty much as awful as it gets. She is completely disillusioned. It's funny, like she's very aware of like, when she sees like an American flag, the kind of horrors that have been done in the name of that flag, right? And has done some of them herself, right? Mm Mm-hmm. 
in many ways, she gets to be kind of a critique of like a Superman, an old school Superman, like truth, justice in the American way, even as she has been so often complicit in it. Mm-hmm. She's much more jaded than, say, Captain America, right? Who like yes. gets to be optimistic. <laughs> Significantly. <laughs> even when he's a critic. Like he, yeah. he is very much like, oh, but there is a true America that I can stand for. I'm a Canadian. Like I have no interest in American (laughs) patriotism or indeed Canadian patriotism. Yeah, any patriotism can be a little bit of a rocky road. Oh, yeah. I mean, I forget who said it, the language of hell, uh, the religion of hell. (laughs) Uh, Patriotism is the religion of hell. And I, like, believe that. And, like, it's why I write the supreme intelligence the way I do. But I like the idea of someone who lives through all that and still finds a way to just save people, you know, who is going Mm -hmm. to save the most people she can as much as she can until the engine falls out um, and is willing to be incredibly pragmatic about it uh, and is willing. There's a moment in the story where she talks about the time the Avengers voted about, um, maybe we cut this, but I had a speech where she talks about the time the Avengers voted about whether or not to fully just kill the Supreme Intelligence. And she says, I know how I would have voted because she will just like pull the plug. She's like that moment Giles um, suffocates Ben on Buffy like oh when she goes to space and like just is like I'm just gonna kill brood for like the next 15 years (laughs) or whatever of comics continuity of course for her it was probably like a year or something right but for us for like there's a good 10 years where Carol Danvers is binary and the Uh second she gets that power she's she's gonna kill every yeah that there is and it's just like just the fact that that gets so under like people really don't talk about that part of her because it's like you remember that part because she's experimented on by them uh-huh. and she's like you cannot exist and of course now we have cute brood and stuff like that right. so we know that the brood, brood can yeah. be a positive like there's been people who are like no they actually do serve a function you just have to take a step out of your life where they're like ruining it <laughs> and uh, (laughs) see the bigger picture. And yeah, Carol doesn't. She's like, no, the brood must die. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm the one to do it. Like, give her a time machine. She's going to go kill Hitler, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're just like, what should we do with this time machine? And she's already gone. She's gone. Like, oh, Carol made that decision without us, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not much we can do now (laughs) unless we're going to do a time machine to a time machine. I don't think we can do that. There's a moment in um, (laughs) this comic where Wiccan is, like, losing his, like, his, his husband has been kidnapped. And he's like yeah. going supernova, as he sometimes does. Um, and she remembers the time he did it in Children's Crusade. And he's like, he put a bunch <laughs> of Nazis in a coma. And then I had like I had a little bracket, which is like, which to be honest, ruled. <laughs> like, like I don't <laughs> even when you read Children's Crusade, she's like, now now, Wiccan, you shouldn't. But like, I think that's her just wearing her <laughs> Avengers hat. Like, I think in her head, yeah. she's like, Yeah, take out those serpent society pieces of shit. <laughs> but I think that that also comes from a sense. At the darkest end of the character, I think that comes from her sense of like, well, I'm already lost, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think in her darkest places, she doesn't. And this is, goes back to what I was talking about, the PTSD and like her shitty, abusive dad and like all these things. Like, I think there's a part of her that doesn't really believe she's savable anymore. I don't think she could articulate yeah. that. I don't think she would say it that way. But I do think there's a tendency to self-annihilation in her that stems from that sense of like, I can't be saved. I'm not capable of being Steve Rogers. I'm never going to be the good guy. 
I'm with Wolverine in the dark. I'm going to make sure that the good guy gets to stay a good guy. Yeah. I think that's It reminds me of Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Batman's like that, where he's like, it's too late for me. Whenever Dick is like, what about you? Or like, whatever. It's (laughs) like, it reminds me of that personality type where it's like they really do genuinely believe. But then same as Bruce, you see how she fights so hard for like those, as you were saying, like the naive to keep what is naive about them because she like needs that. Yeah. I think this is true of um, in real life too. I remember remember when I got to a certain age and the Yates line about how like the best have lost all conviction and the worst are full of passionate intensity in, in the second coming. Um, oh my God. And I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, how could that be true? And then as an adult, you're like, oh yeah, that's how it is. Like the good people are the ones who are like kicking themselves and like racked with guilt. And the worst pieces of shit in your life are the ones who are like, I'm fine. I'm the good guy, right? Like Mm -hmm. Donald Trump does not lose sleep. Uh, Yeah. Mitch McConnell, who literally at this point is like dying right in front of us because he'd rather, (laughs) he would rather show up to ruin people's lives than to spend time with his family in his later years. You know, like that level of spite. I'm like, only later in your life do you realize how much it is like, I wouldn't say stronger, but it's something that can keep people running into like their twilight years. Oh, and yeah. you're just Henry like, Kissinger finally dead at a hundred. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot to say congratulations Congrats because I'm saying that to us. every yeah. person who I see, and I'm just like congratulations, <laughs> and they're like what? And it's like Henry Kissinger is dead. <laughs> it's like it sucks because you that boy. It's like what he, day is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like he literally is like the worst and like I mean he won don't get me wrong like I mean that's years, kind of yeah. the thing is is like he's really gotten he got away with everything in his lifetime and there's still is people who are trying to memorialize him as a great hero and I just don't I can't point and identify a single heroic thing this man did in right. his life but yeah so I think that like you know what Carol would say <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's the su- <laughs> he is the Cree supreme he's intelligence. He's the supreme right? intelligence, yeah. right? <laughs> and I think that that's, but I also think, and this is why it's interesting to me that you asked at the top about, like, I never imagined myself really climbing into the driver's seat of, like, a character who's thinking about what it means to have been a veteran, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, I never imagined myself writing this character because I couldn't really imagine... And in retrospect, the 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 weight of feeling that kind of complicity um, mm-hmm. and of trying to process, like, and then to have your bad, that's why it's important to me that her bad guys are the people who masterminded these kinds of things and used people like her as cogs um, mm-hmm. over and over again. I think that's why Carol suffers so much with her identity, right? Whether it's like, defining binary as a different person or um rogue like taking her life from her right like right um i think she recognizes from a very early age how porous her own sense of self is it's kind of why i like the somewhat controversial retcon of making her mother having been a cree soldier who left right it's a detail i incorporated into this story even though i recognize it's like that's kind of a stumbling block if you've only seen the movies, you know, like, oh, sure. I guess I didn't know that. But uh, I wanted it in there because I think her mom, to her, is someone who figured out a way to escape by running away to Earth and like starting a family. Um, and I think that 
I don't think she's on the road to that, but I think it's sometimes a road she looks down and wonders if that was ever something she could have had. Like, not necessarily like, you know, the wife and kids thing, but like peace, you know, like. Right. Is there an, can she imagine, like, does Carol Danvers ever get to retire? You know, like, does Carol ever get. Nope, she's going to (laughs) die. She's going (laughs) to sacrifice herself for the greater good, for sure. Well, that's the ending they gave her in the 50, at the end of the 50 issues, right? Like. Yeah. She's super Onovas at the end of time, you know, and all her friends. Yeah. And like, I think that that's a. Sadly, I think that is one very valid reading of the character that she has to, I already mentioned (laughs) Glory from Buffy, but like the angel ending of like, she has to go down fighting. The ending is fighting for her. Um, Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You know, my favorite Captain Marvel villain (laughs) is Moonstone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that fun? It's like (laughs) Moonstone is so horrible and there's. As you mentioned a little bit, like Carol does better with people who are much worse than her. Uh (laughs) Because it's like there's people who you could point to and be like, that's probably a better person than Carol, actually. Uh (laughs) Yeah, There's a few people where you're like, that person would probably make a better decision than Carol would in this situation. (laughs) They're everywhere, frankly. But the person who is just a thousand times worse is always fun to see her fight against. And Moonstone is that person oh yeah oh my god and uh, to go back to your batman thing like there's a reason that batman's big villain is the one who's having the most fun right like yes <laughs> um moonstone is kind of a jokerified i mean she she actually has a lot of harley quinn parallels right yes like she's a i'm a psychiatrist yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny and i'm so evil <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And yeah. she loves it. It's really fun to watch Moonstone. She's the character who has to be the most fun. Just watch her be evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that Carol doesn't get to cut loose, right? Like there's so much of like, yeah, she's so strong. She's so powerful. She's um, so damaged. She's so she's been so regimented in her life mm-hmm. um, that having a villain who's like, no, let's just do as much property damage as we want (laughs) and people are just a fun thing to play with um is the thing you want to bounce carol off of right oh Um, yeah 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 (laughs) to great effect whenever uh moonstone pops up pretending to be miss marvel or whatever and then (laughs) they have that big fight over like kansas or whatever right (laughs) oh my god i love it i just love it and versus the brood right versus the supreme intelligence those kind of great evils are really good, I think. Yeah. So I appreciate that you chose Supreme Intelligence because that makes sense. Or like Dr. Minerva. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Like sometimes she gets to have fun, but sometimes she's just like a serious scientist. Like she's sometimes <laughs> is just like, she's kind of the opposite of Moonstone where it's like all regiment and no ethics, you know? Like, yeah, I find that, no ethics. <laughs> <laughs> I find that a lot of fun too for her to bounce off Carol. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's a character, like I said, like, I truly didn't think I even had the profile to ever write Carol. Um, but now having written her, it's like, oh, God, like, she's so much fun. She's so interesting. She has so many dimensions to her. Um, I mm-hmm. find her difficult to write dialogue for at first because sure. I don't think she can see herself think because of the damage I was talking about. Like, right. That is to say, like, I think she thinks worse of herself than I think of her, you know? Yeah, Um, yeah. And that makes it 
feel like sometimes you have to put words in her mouth where you're like, Carol, that's an awful thing to say about yourself. Yeah, that's not you. <laughs> but Come she on. would say it, you know, and that Yeah, to me was she would. She's brutal to herself. That goes back to Claremont for sure. Oh, that yeah, goes yeah. back to the original Miss Marvel series. Yeah. Like just brutal to herself for sure. And sometimes you're like, okay, maybe you should have been a little bit more brutal at this point, like Civil <laughs> War II again. But there's these moments, right? And then I was thinking too, Carol is just such a fascinating character. As you say, she's been truly through the gamut. I agree with you that that Kelly Thompson series was just like knocked it all the way out of the park. Uh-huh. It just nailed like every character beat. But from what I remember... Kelly Thompson also said in an interview that I read, basically, like, I didn't really think I was going to jive with this character. And I think maybe that's like the definitive thing about Carol sometimes, right? Is like people being like, I don't really know her. And then being like, wait, I love her. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that I mean, in general, like there is a way that like the career path to being a writer and the career path to being like a former military super spy (laughs) (laughs) Um, is sometimes divergent perhaps and means it's like takes (laughs) us a minute to climb into the seat. Um, But I think this is a risk that happens sometimes a lot, actually. Like I'm always fascinated when an actor who has played like a villain like gets like semi-canceled for like identifying with their villain. It's like, that's their job. Like I understand like maybe (laughs) don't give the interview where you do that, but like understanding the psychology of a person separate from your own ethics is always like an interesting problem to have. Um, But yeah, I get it. Like I, I truly was like, Oh, Captain Marvel. Do I have a take on Captain Marvel? And like now I could write her for, you know, I mean, I would, I don't know. 50 issues. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I do think like realizing I maybe shouldn't center myself that much is also an important impulse to have. But um, mm-hmm. I was really glad to get a crack at it. And especially with the talents that I got to work with on this, like the art is so stunning in this book. And Eleonora is just amazing. And uh, I got oh, to yeah. make, like beautiful stuff. <laughs> truly amazing. Like uh, also like the coloring, like I can't believe that we actually managed to make Palma has a blue sun look appealing you know like yeah. sort of idenic scenes um yeah it joy. was gorgeous i could see this being one where you're like oh wait i didn't expect it to actually look like <laughs> this because it's a lot of space stuff and i'm so i can only imagine how exciting getting these pages oh, must have been it's always like christmas morning getting pages but getting these pages <laughs> was just like holy shit i never imagined it could look this good Like, I wrote the descriptions of the supreme intelligence where I was like, yeah, he's kind of, like, completely fucked up now. So it's like, instead of a bunch of screens of his face, it's like every screen has a different part of his face. But if that's too confusing, don't do it. But then, like, the pages came in and it's like, oh, shit, like, you nailed it. Like, this is so good. (laughs) And it was also, like, in some ways it got to be like kind of a final farewell to this Carol costume design because she, Alyssa Wong's book has uh, Carol in the new look. So I knew we were kind of saying farewell. So I was really glad to, it got such an amazing final showing. Mm, And they're doing a great job with Carol. This is like the thing with uh, Carol is there really has been no better time to be a fan of this character because it just seems like every run does like just a little bit more interesting (laughs) stuff than even the last one. It's like Kelly Sue DeConnick's run is obviously just so iconic for a million reasons. And then you're like, well, then it's followed up by Kelly. It's just like so hype like the whole time. Yeah, it's like. Um, it's funny because like we're in the era where variety is like the MCU, like 
Captain Marvel killed these movies and like yeah. diversity bad. And it's like, okay, well. Um, <laughs> but meanwhile, in the comics, the kids are eating, right? Like there's, this is yeah. truly that kind of, the attention those movies have gotten means some really talented people have gotten to really define this character. Like she really is like one of the great flagships of the Marvel line right now. Yeah, and that came overnight. Like, that was, like, a moment of just, like, oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah. Carol's huge now. And, it like, as somebody who's been reading comics for, like, since, like, the mid-90s, you have that, right, where you're just, like, oh, my God, like, Carol's huge now. And it was was all the Kelly Sue DeConnick series because before that, like, there's great Carol stories, great ones, Mm -hmm. like, just so many good underrated Carol stories. But the whole thing of that is basically – like it could be years between them and like you wouldn't see like right now just being like oh she's the flagship she's actually captain marvel here we go two movies like yeah banger runs like always has a series out that was not our reality yeah. <laughs> as carol fans yeah, yeah, yeah. for a long <laughs> time so and there were times where she was like it's like i don't even know if this character is going to make it like i remember that kind of era that late 90s era of Avengers where it was like oof I'm not sure if she's going to bounce back from this yeah. and then like the Bendis era like there's just been a lot the of rough stuff happening to this era, character yeah. mm-hmm. um, like oh we'll punish people before they commit crimes and it's like oh damn so you read <laughs> Philip K. Dick too huh like but you seem to have taken a very different message from it um, <laughs> that to me is what makes her so interesting and useful right now mm-hmm. um Maybe And not maybe every writer would agree with this and maybe not every fan would agree with this. Like, I'm sure she has fans who are just like, yeah, she was in the Air Force like me and that's cool. Um, yeah. But to me, the, what makes the character so useful and perhaps so popular right now, especially with young people, is um, precisely that sense of like coming of age in the American empire and being yeah. like, are we the baddies? You know, like that's It seems like we're like- bad. And even the movie, like, because as much as it's, like, military propaganda and the movies in general, people tie that really tough to the MCU, yes, but it is, like, cinema history for the military. But it's also this kind of thing with her, you're just like, oh, but even in the movie, she's, like, pro the scrolls, right? Like, she helps, like, what she considers to be the, like, the person who's kind of, like, been screwed over by the American military. And and I think that as the... I mean, it's in, we're we're recording this in November, and like as we watch the um, as we watch sort of this breakdown in American and Canadian society of like like the Democrats simply do not understand their voting base because like everyone right. under forty is like talking about the genocide in Palestine, and the Democrats are like, uh, no, pro-Israel, like rolling out the red carpet, um, and right. Samuel you know, writing as we speak. I'm sure they're they're eulogies for henry kissinger right like right and that's as left as american politics get and that's wild (laughs) right right and you have this generation that's like i don't want to serve this bloodshed and this empire anymore and i think that that and still processing their complicity in that right and i think that that's what carol is doing where it's like is there a way i'm interested in this kind of shakespearean being too far in blood problem like he has several protagonists who are like, well, I'm this far. Oh, yeah. And I guess yeah. I'm this far, so I'll stay this way. And Carol's like, no, I can reverse course. I can still be a hero, even though I've done these things and I'm flawed and I'm an alcoholic. And like, 
all these things do not mean that I cannot be a hero. And that to me is what's so admirable and so wonderful about her as a character and someone I'm like so glad has come into my brain and like gets to live mm-hmm. with me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, welcome. You know, it's <laughs> it's been fun for me too. And it's one of those characters that really, I, I'm fascinated by a character with complexity really no matter what direction that goes, right? Even mm-hmm. if I hate the character, mm-hmm. chances are I'll read every issue. The Deathstroke series by Priest now is the name. Um, right. But it was basically like that. I was like, oh, I hate Deathstroke. And you you know that. You understand me, the reader. <laughs> <laughs> like You're writing to somebody who you know hates Deathstroke. Because I was like reading it being like, this is a goddamn masterpiece. Uh-huh. Like, how did this happen? I didn't know that Deathstroke was going to be interesting all of a sudden. But with Carol, it's like there is like a goodness to her. It's just a complicated, damaged, like very trying hard, but still pretty fucked up type of goodness. Yeah, I think we're learning. I think we're coming out of, we're coming out of a period of kind of puritanism in fiction, especially among like, hope, young God. people's fiction, where it's like right. the text is kind of an index to morality and like, it, right. the, the bad must end badly and like i know you're like oh is it 1930s hollywood <laughs> yeah. or is it 2023 yeah totally yeah but in an insi- in a way that was kind of insidious because it projected itself as like sex positive and whatever but it was very i rem- it was like having movies come out and people be like if you like this movie you're damaging me right (laughs) kind of like (laughs) that outlook i like i remember when happiest season came out and everybody was like this is an abusive relationship and it's like i guess like it's also just kind of a rom-com you know like it's (laughs) there's there's complexity there we can talk about it you know but to me it was like I do feel like people are bringing a lot of their own shit to this conversation in the way of like, you might be going a little bit far yeah. saying that this is like the worst relationship you've ever seen portrayed on television right. or something, <laughs> right? It's like, sure, I've read way too much into stories. I put my own projections onto things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just kind of like that can't be the thing that dictates like the whole conversation of whether this is an artistically valuable thing, right? Is like we have to have other thoughts as well. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, part of it is, I think also, part of it is that like young people are reading this and young people are um, learning about their own morality, right? I think that- Yeah. Everything was super black and white when I was a kid. That's for sure. You're like, it's right. It's wrong. That's how it is. Professor Xavier is correct. He said he's correct and he's correct. Yeah. And like later you're like, maybe not so much. Sure. And I think it's partly that like kids are recognizing that their own morality simply does not match their parents in any way. And it's like, sure. well, then, then they have to build their own from scratch. And it's of course going to be much more rigid. Right. Um, but I think that's starting to break down. I think we're starting to recognize that these, this sort of like circle of endless micro cancellation of one another. Um, I know. Not necessarily at like a, a larger level, but at like a, the fiction you consume says something about your morality. I think we're starting to recognize that's not true. I'm kind of hoping right. an era of 90s dirtbags returns, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> At least somewhat. Some of that can stay, but yeah, for the most part, you're just like, I would like to see at least people challenging things because I mean, that's it is like, I write a story and like, I'll think I'm going into that story writing like the least problematic character you could. Uh And then it's like, of course, that character is a nightmare person. And the way that that happens is 
I'm a nightmare person, you know, like we all are kind of. And like the way that we like view ourselves and the way that we view the world is complicated. And whenever you're writing a story, that's going to come out, even if you're just like, hey, this is like a perfectly good character. And then you're like, well, I didn't write a perfectly good character. It turns out this character's all fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) That's why like Carol like lends herself to it, right? Like Carol's just like, obviously there's a lot of issues here. Like most people will, if you say I'm a Carol Danvers fan, people will be like, what about Civil War II? And you're just like, okay, Civil War II can be the Vegas, right? Where it's like, what happened there stays there. Like, we don't have to talk yeah, about right. it. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about it. Because trust me, Carol is extra bad, but nobody looks good in Civil War II. No, it's, <laughs> so. it's a rough one. But I, I do think yeah. it like, as horrible as it is, and like, I do think it does stem from that same psychology of like, oh, here's our chance where we do something shitty And then we get to have that perfect world, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I think that is built into like the person who worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. and like strangled people in back alleys (laughs) does think that way, you know, like, oh, yeah, um, we just have to do this one more atrocity. And like, that's kind of like I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who old school and there's a story called The War Games that I've been talking about on the podcast Critical Gallifrey and Theory. And the way that that uh, story plays out is oh, well, they call it the war to end all wars and they're talking about World War One, And it's like, what if that's like, that blows my mind uh-huh. is just to be like, oh, we just have to fight this one more war right. and then there won't be any more <laughs> wars. And it's like, it just like is stunning. And like, even in the, of course, Doctor Who, it's very tongue in cheek that he says this. He's just like, yeah, they said it was a war to end all wars. Good thing there's no more wars, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of moment. But it's just like, I think about that sometimes. And I do think like, yeah, what you're saying has a lot of merit in in my brain. Those are the moments that blow my mind because it's always like, I feel like I constantly kind of have to check myself. And I don't know if you relate to this of just being like, you might think like, oh, like, fuck that, like that person go away or something like that. And then you're just like, wait a second. Am I being the per- am I being the crease <laughs> supreme intelligence right now? Right. And sometimes you are and sometimes you're not, right? Like there's plenty of times where somebody Kissinger, just evil. Sure. <laughs> Get him out of here. <laughs> Us cheering when he dies is fine. It is morally correct. <laughs> and But then there's people where you're like, well, maybe I was too harsh with that person or something like that. And Carol is like the person to work that out with, I think, as far as characters go. I mean, it's an odd comparison to draw, but she does kind of have, like, she does kind of have something of the doctor about her too, right? Where it's like, I am the most powerful person in this room and, um, and I can be the silly fun one, but watch out when I decide, like, the hammer is coming down, right? Yeah. Um, like, watch out Carol. when I decide you are the bad guy. It's uh, yeah, not good for you. Yeah, you're hurled it turns out space. really bad yeah. for you. <laughs> hey, everybody. Earlier today, I made myself a sandwich, and I thought to myself, if I could rate and review this sandwich, I would give it five stars. And <laughs> I would say, this sandwich is so incredible. It was the best sandwich I've had literally in days. And it was everything I wanted it to be. And that would be a positive review. That would help me see what audience responses were to my sandwich. And, you know, it would just be really a helpful system. I wonder if there's another situation where rating and reviewing would come in handy. Oh, huh. Oh, my God. No, what? you could 
rate and review this podcast. And then that helps us find our audience and it helps us find whatever we've lost. It helps us find what we've lost. <laughs> helps us find our socks, <laughs> our keys, our <laughs> cell phone. People don't talk about it enough. When you rate and review, it really changes someone's life. <laughs> yeah, it's going to change my life. That's for sure. And we like to read the reviews, you know, the ones that are positive, that say soothing and nice things. <laughs> five stars. We'll give you five stars as a listener. You give us five stars as a podcast. Five sandwiches. <laughs> this podcast, let's face it, is five delicious sandwiches. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my god. Okay, well, clearly I could talk about Carol with you for literally the next 25 hours, but <laughs> hey, we've got Cerebro for that. Exactly. Although now we need an Avengers version of Cerebro because we've got a lot to say. I mean, that's a hole but, to fill in the market for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, is it going to be us? Are we going to do it? Um, <laughs> every time there's a good idea, I'm like, am I the one who's having this idea? No. And then it's just like, no, <laughs> don't put stop. That on don't. Me. <laughs> you're just doing too much work. You're doing too much work. Um, <laughs> and just to note, Cerebro clearly takes a lot of work. So, Oh my God. I don't know how he edits that. It's crazy. No idea. No idea. We love you, Connor. No. God yeah. bless. <laughs> God bless. That's what I, and same with Chad. Chad sends like such a deep, Chad of Gray Malkin Lane, uh-huh. everyone, but it just sends like these incredibly detailed breakdowns of every episode that you're going to talk about. And I'm like, 
How does he find the oh, time? This amazing and then man of tomorrow. Before I've had a chance to even read the first email, being like, "Did you read that email?" <laughs> I'm like, oh God, Chad, please. I'm so sorry. No, I didn't. I'm so sorry. I didn't read it. I've been doing my homework. I promise. Or it's like I read it, but then I totally forgot everything you just said yeah. because that's my way. <laughs> I smoke a lot of weed, folks, and like, yeah, that's sometimes I like want to just text Chad back and be like, "Am high?" Right. Text tomorrow. <laughs> but like in in a in a way that's just like this is a dad who is used to keeping people on point and thank God he's there, right? Because otherwise everything spirals out of control. Also, he has like so many guests every single podcast that you're just like, that is incredible that you can even wrangle this. Like it is out of control to me. Um, Bitches on comics, I show up. (laughs) As you know, I sent you a link like five minutes before the call. This is my way. Um, I had to download Chrome before this call. (laughs) I was like, oh God, I need Chrome for this. I've dropped that on so many people. Oh my God. (laughs) I try to tell people ahead of time. I didn't do that with you. I just knew. I knew Anthony could roll with the punches, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And ladies and thems and everybody. Like, Anthony can roll. Um, All right. So, but however, we got to get into day spring, right? So I want to talk about this. I think last time we talked, there was Hulkling Wiccan content I don't know how much there mm-hmm. was. You've also written some Hulk and Wickling comics, but I also don't wait. I just did that so wrong. But okay, <laughs> Hulkling and Wiccan comics uh-huh. is the say it right challenge. But <laughs> I <laughs> open to the internet. So I was gonna say you have a whole a whole ass novel. <laughs> I do that's coming up. I do, <laughs> and I want to talk about this because I'm very hyped for it. I've already like checked out the pre order and everything. Oh, bless. so I'm thrilled. Like you've mentioned it, and here's what's up. I've been listening to you bring it up in podcasts literally as long as I've known you as a writer. It's true. Right? Like, it has been the pandemic kind of dented its progress along the publishing chain, um, but it is finally it it. It took some printing is the thing. Like there's a character in it who speaks in rubricated font, like in a red font. Um, And I thought, oh, like what a cute, fun thing to do. And it turned out like there's like four publishers on earth who can do that. Three of (laughs) which are super homophobic. (laughs) So we finally finally found one that would do it. And like it's ready to go and it exists and it's sitting on the (laughs) shelf behind me and will come out for Easter 2024. Um, Yes, it. it is finally ready. Dayspring. This could go in any direction. Okay, so I have some questions. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. Dayspring. Uh-huh. This sounds familiar. That's a name that I've heard before. <laughs> it sure is. Um, <laughs> Dayspring <laughs> is one of the titles for Jesus in the Bible. It speaks to his sort of springtime awakening kind of thing, which is why it gets attached to Nathan Christopher Summers from the X-Men, right? Like he is... There's a lot of like weird messianic Jesus-y. stuff happening yeah. with Cable, like and like um, uh, like Abrahamic stuff, like his wife is Alia and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and like his son is Genesis. Obviously, the bad guys Apocalypse. So like, um, <laughs> even just the way Cable looks, like his snowy white hair and his glowing eyes—that's actually from a description of Jesus in Revelations. Um, right. So it's not an accident, exactly. The the story the novel the gospel that is my book um is a retelling of the gospels from the point of view of the beloved disciple but it is also kind of a memoir and there is a sequence if x-men fans are reading the book there is a sequence where they are reading a comic that is clearly about cable 
about naming Christopher Summers um, that mm-hmm. is taken from my own life. So it's uh, it, it's a title that has some resonances for me, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and for many people, I would imagine. <laughs> That's just a lot going on there. And I love this as a title. I think it works really well. I want to compliment the cover. The cover is absolutely stunning. Oh, yeah. It is. It took me a minute. I like looked at it and was like, this is cool, interesting moment. And then it was just like, there's so much going on here. And like, it just, my brain like exploded in a thousand directions. This is it. I want to be clear. I haven't read this book yet. I've been so hyped for this book for such a long time though. And like the idea of it being this kind of like experimental like text, I'm thrilled. But I I think it starts with the cover because it was like, I saw that cover and was like, must buy, click, 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 <laughs> yeah. click, click, pre-sell, click now. Yeah, the cover's amazing. It's by Jennifer Griffiths. Um, it's a concept that was in my head a long time ago. Basically, the left side is a classical painting by oh, Jean-Francois something or other. It's actually hanging here. I'll turn my camera so you can see it hanging on the wall next to me. Um, there it is <laughs> yeah yeah and, uh, I tried to okay. make a trip to Detroit the crowd goes wild. to see it and the museum didn't have it out on display I was very frustrated come on it's like whenever I went to the um, Brooklyn Museum and the dinner party was like a whole floor that they were like this is oh, off and I was no. like oh, okay oh, uh, fine <laughs> yeah and then the right side is just a split screen kind of thing of two it's some horny image um, of two dudes and one of them has uh, tattoos and like a nipple piercing. And I was like, this is, this kind of makes a statement of what the book is like. It's like a, a classical retelling of the Gospels that is also contemporary and horny and super gay. And so I, I kind of want, I wanted the cover to stand for what the rest of the book is like. So yes, it is kind of a retelling of first century gospel stories, but it is also like, they have cell phones and they have bottle caps and like (laughs) they go down into the basement and watch aliens and poltergeist on TV. Like, um, (laughs) so there's an old idea in Christianity basically from like the first generation where they were like, Jesus died. Don't worry about it. He's going to come back. And they were like, when's he going to come back? (laughs) And, uh, and the whole thing was like, well, he did have that one guy he loved the most so I bet he'll be back before that guy dies. <laughs> and as as Jesus did not come back, the story became that somewhere out there, that beloved disciple is still alive, that he will live mm. until Jesus returns. So this is a story from the point of view of the beloved disciple looking back, but he's also the person who wrote the book of Revelation. So his mind is a little cracked and it's been 2000 years and he's also me. So it's like... <laughs> yes. Um, so it's about and like the way And he's also me is like you. the title of every memoir. What's that? I said, uh, and it's also me is the title of every <laughs> right. memoir, yes, right? Exactly. And also it was a story about me the yeah. whole time. Yeah. Okay. But you said, but it's about how love destroys you. And I don't want to jump on that line oh. because that is an incredible line. Yeah. I, you know, you find what you love and you let it destroy you. I think that's that's what happens to... Basically, all the apostles, right? Like none of them, none of them mm-hmm. meets a good ending. In fact, this is the only one who doesn't die screaming, right? <laughs> okay. Of the, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, so I wanted to tell a story about the way that, like, love can be so all-consuming and um, can be obliterating. 
The next book I want to write is about the sort of obverse dark side of that. Uh, This is about what it's like to sort of feel like love came and love went and you're living in the aftermath of it. Um, I wrote it basically in the middle of the pandemic in the darkest moments of my life. While listening to you believe in life after love. And And the answer is no. Uh. The answer is kind of no, because you might still live, but it's going to (laughs) suck. I love this. I'm just I'm so excited to read this copy that I'm it's like the second it shows up. I have it planned. It's going to show up in the mail. I'm going to rip open the package. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to read every single page. You're going to appreciate the deckled edge and the rubricated font. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. And see, this is it, though, because you have done so much studying on on religion. We talked a lot about, like, the role of your, like, of religion in your life in the last episode that you were mm-hmm. on. I would normally say what number that was <laughs> if I knew what it was. But <laughs> the last episode you want, it, check the archive, folks. There's plenty of things. You'll find wonderful things as you go along. But much with much with the history of religion, right? Like there's wonderful things. Dig uh, in there. Maybe. Um, but <laughs> some of it, some of it. But I'm curious because I know that that obviously is everything you just said. It plays a big role in it as well. So, you know, obviously so much of your life, you know, studying. And from from what I remember, and tell me if this was a fever dream I had mm. or if this actually happened, but you did a podcast on your Patreon that was about Paradise Lost, yes. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. I do. I run Thank a podcast you. called The Devil's Party, um, which is uh, from a phrase of, Milton, of uh, William Blake's that Milton is of the Devil's Party and didn't know it. Um, and so we at first tackled, uh, Paradise Lost and Paradise Regained, um, sort of a hundred lines at a time, like analyzing this po- really queer 17th century poem, which is basically about Adam and Eve, but from the point of view of Satan. Yes, yes, yes. It, it owns, like, it's so good. I, first of all, I love, uh, I remember listening to this podcast as it was coming out and loving it. Oh, so I'm glad to hear you. that it wasn't a fever dream. No, it's it happened. Um, it turned <laughs> into a graphic novel that also has been sort of dented by the pandemic, but is still forthcoming called Apocrypha, um, which is like a teen <laughs> queer apocalypse from the dealing with sort of the Christian end of the world, um, but from like a rad queer lens. Um, oh, my God. Oh my God. So we're working pre-order, on Pre-order, pre-order. There's no pre-order yet, no. but I'll get there. It, it's coming. <laughs> it uh, We hit some pandemic delays and now I'm like, I asked if I could see the script again because it's been stuck for four years and it's like sure character descriptions are like a likable Ezra Miller type and I'm like oh no this has to go nope take that back that doesn't even make sense if you say it now yeah if you say it now that's just like what is that what would that even look like um so we're working on that but uh, after that we did uh, analysis of the Johannine gospel material so the gospel of John the letters of John and now we're in revelations um and are you serious yeah 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 (laughs) Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We did the bit last night where the angel like makes uh, John like eat the scroll and it's like very horny where he's like yeah, standing between the angel's legs and the angel's like, swallow this. And he's like, it's so sweet, but so bitter. And it's like, oh, what's oh, happening right now? <laughs> I know this story. <laughs> <laughs> Revelations was one of the first things I read. I'm an atheist. I was raised by atheists, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. But it was basically I'm this. So was just being... <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, I've heard that before, right? <laughs> Especially because Catholics are just like, what's it like to be you? And I'm like, it's actually pretty fucking sweet. 
I was my family is Southern Baptist, so just to be clear, there was a very intense religion that was being like oh, orbiting. I'm getting you. away from that yeah. <laughs> kind of situation, so it's fine. My dad was a very bitter atheist. I understand too that atheists can be problematic, sure. but no. uh, Ooh, yeah, basically, it's, come on, <laughs> which it's just Who like you, you read what? <laughs> no, <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even but, Philip yeah, Pullman exactly. sometimes you're like, what's happening, Phil? Like, Look, you're. <laughs> going a little bit off the rails here <laughs> and you're just like look it's just maybe it's agnostic is a better term because i'm always like hey it's a whatever uh-huh. and like people what happens when you die i don't have time to think about yeah. that i literally don't have time yeah but i'm late right now yeah <laughs> yes exactly but like growing up revelations is the most metal chapter of the bible sure. right like that's the one where everything gets cool like apocalypse is happening yeah or babylon shows up my favorite character mm, she's great and- <laughs> riding on her crazy dragon with seven hands with a big old and glass of wine look- <laughs> oh my god you look at like the photo like the i say photos <laughs> really happened. i don't believe in the like religion but i do believe that the bible actually sure happened. i think pound um- for pound you're gonna get the most <laughs> tattoos out of revelations right like yeah <laughs> Yeah, it fucking rules. I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's not... It rules. It also has had, like, lasting damage in human history. (laughs) No, for sure, right? Like, it's not good, but it rules. But it also has produced the most X-Men code names, so... The the apocalypse. Yeah. The horsemen of the apocalypse. How many of those? Here we have famine, pestilence. 17 like different guys and then when wolverine is it for a the second worst. that's like, when i really went off the rails take a break like take a break and like gambit and lorna <laughs> and it's like gambit and lorna what are you doing it's so funny when it's gambit though because they're just like we gotta make this guy interesting without rogue and it's like you can't <laughs> <laughs> was he the one that killed you when he touched you was that what yeah because it's like he's a god what is it pestilence is that right and it's like he was all like super black skin with like the blue highlights and the white hair yeah it was just like what are you doing it just goes so off the rails (laughs) and it never comes back until it does yeah Um, (laughs) oh my god so yes everybody should Sign up for your Patreon. For some reason, I thought that the Paradise Lost was the last that you did. No, um, we did Paradise Regained, which uh, is Jesus and Satan talking to each other. Um, I know. Which is not as exciting as it sounds, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun, though. I mean, yeah. that's it with, like, Paradise Lost. Somebody told me, like, oh, that boring old poem. And I was like, no, 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 no. Just listen to Speed Metal while you're yeah. reading it. And, like, it really will click for you. Paradise Lost fucking rips. It's just, like, Satan it's giving the most good. metal speeches you've ever heard. And God using his weird time, like, his perception of time makes no sense. So he's like... He changes verb tenses in the middle of sentences. It's yes, just yes, yes. so fucking cool. <laughs> and Satan has like a boyfriend. And like, oh, it's so good. Yes. It is. It really is. And that's it. Like, I, I don't know. As I said, haven't read Day of Spring. Looking forward to it. But I'm really looking forward to those references. Like, that's kind of like oh, yeah. part of it, right? Is <laughs> like, I'm going to be getting religious references obviously i'm gonna be getting x-men references sure. obviously them, and then yeah. i'm just gonna get gay people references yes. and i love that too so <laughs> this sounds like it's like did somebody write this book for me yeah anthony did actually i feel like it is definitely i wanted people to have the experience i have reading the bible where you just kind of like 
Like it sometimes feels like it's wrong for people to read it cover to cover. Like I do feel like it should maybe right. be read just like you open it and like it says something weird to you and you're like, well, that was weird. And then you close it and then you open it <laughs> tomorrow. Isn't that like the X-Men too? <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. You can dip in and out. That's that's exactly yeah. the reading experience <laughs> I want people to have with this. Um, as you said, it's been long in development. Um, it took me, I feel like I've been writing it literally my whole life. Actually, there's sections of it that I wrote when I was 16 that, I still kept in because I was like, I want, I want it to feel like a palimpsest. I want it to feel like it's been something that's been written and overwritten and like um, rewritten and thrown out. I asked the publisher if we could just like leave crates of it on the beach for a few months. And they were like, we're not going to do that. (laughs) Um, But that's like the experience I wanted people to have with it. Um, Just like this weird artifact that like lives with you and says weird things to you every so often. That's what I want this book to be. Um, so I'm very excited for people to see it. Yeah, it's like the the queer weirdness that was kind of what sold me on literature, right? Like when you're a kid, <laughs> it's like you're reading stuff because it's like just there and you don't have much else to do. You're like, I would love to be smart. So let's try it. And so I remember reading just like whatever I could find for the longest time. And then whenever I was like, I love literature was after I had read like House of Incest by Anias Nin, right? Which is oh, just wow. a weird trip. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, and it's it's not necessarily something I would actually recommend to anybody. <laughs> but it was something where I was like, books can be fun. Like we can just go off the rails and do whatever the hell we want. And like, that's kind of something I feel like with, uh, we were talking about kind of like there was a puritanical culture for a hot uh-huh. second. Like the expectations for queer writers obviously being different is like this kind of idea of like, don't experiment. That's, uh-huh. It's just going to get too weird. Yeah. But like, for instance, this year, I just got finished reading, uh, K-Ming Chang did, uh, did a book called Organ Me. And that was so experimental just from like the drop. And I was thrilled by it to just like, ooh, <laughs> like <laughs> you get a little thrill because I read so much that you're just like, this is fun. We're like in a place I don't recognize. And then you start to pick up. Right. Oh. And I feel like that's going to be a similar experience. I hope oh, God. To the, oh, like, I hope so. I mean, we're in the middle of meetings by now. We'll have figured all this out, but right now we're in the, by the time people are listening to this, but um, we're in the middle of meetings right now, figuring out how the audio book is going to work. And the audio engineers are like, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't do red lettering and audio. Yeah. Because the characters speaking in red lettering there's no moments where I'm like, he said, or like neither yeah. the main character nor the person who speaks in red letters are named at any point in this book. So like, it's also very difficult to even talk in production meetings about who these characters are. Cause it's like, and then the red <laughs> letters say, um, but it's so much fun to try to figure out how to solve these problems. Like uh, even just indicating like, how do we tell people in an audiobook when the page is turned has been tricky. Um, I wrote this book, lying to myself every day that no one would ever read it. And therefore I would say all the things that I Mm -hmm. was too scared to say. And now I'm dealing with like knowing by the time this comes out in two months, everyone will have read it. And it's like, Oh God, like um, people are going to know what a pervert I am. (laughs) It's a scary scary thought to realize is going to be, I feel like Sauron making the ring. And now this like, object is outside my body that is the thing that is me you know it's very strange oh but i love the idea of all of the homoerotic imagery of christianity catching up with it right because it's just like give me a break we talk about sexy jesus spanking even in the last episode that you were it's time where it's just like you know 
Gays built that church. Michelangelo, like every one of the Ninja Turtles yeah. was gay. Like all those Renaissance <laughs> dudes was a homo. They built these churches. They made this art. They wrote the music. Um, it's time to take it back. It's time to claim that stuff, I think. This is the art we made. And like, I think that not seeding that ground has been kind of one of the great works of my life is like, even with Paradise Lost, like, no, this is queer and you actually can't take it from us, you know, like. Yeah, I love that so much because that was it. Whenever I read Paradise Lost, I feel like I read it before I fully appreciated it. Revisiting it, it was like, this is gayer than anything I've ever read, oh, yeah. I think. Like, this is incredibly gay. I read it in high school. I read it on the bleachers when the boy I had a crush on came over and asked what I was reading. And ever since, it's like, well, I guess this book is like tied to my very soul for the rest of time. <laughs> I am overwhelmed by how gay that is. <laughs> and in a, in a very positive way, right? Um, <laughs> but real, like, I mean, Lucifer, who's more queer? Because it's just like, I choose this. Oh, yeah. Fuckers. And like, there's just something wonderful about this. Even his first speech in Paradise Lost, Satan is like, we begin at the in the bottom of hell, like in the lake of fire, as the yeah. angels have sort of, are sort of waking up again after having been smote there by God. And Satan's first speech in that is he rolls over in the lake and he sees Beelzebub, his lover, and he says, if thou beest he, but oh, how fallen. Like it's a lament for the way God's thunder has disfigured them after they've been cast out. And it's like, he talks about the ruined beauty of this person whose name we never learn. We never learn any of the demons' names. They just have the names they have after they fall. So Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, and Satan is the great adversary. Their names have been stricken from the Book of Life. Um, right. But he looks at him and he's like, "My, like, look what they've done to us. Um, and it's actually not that different to bring it back to Miss Marvel. It's like, well, what do you uh, do? What do you do after you've done the worst thing? You either decide, well, I'm a bad guy now, which is what he decides to do, or yes. you see if there's a way to something better. It's a position Milton thought about a lot because he was blind and old and he had helped kill the king and everything he ever fought for fell apart. Uh, and he had to decide whether he was going to go out with a bang or a whimper. And instead he went out with the biggest literary bang you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send this clip to whoever told me this book was boring. Oh my God, but no way. I get it. It's I difficult. always wonder what the people mean. If, yeah, right. Okay, totally. That's a thing, right? Sometimes things are difficult. It's like whenever I got into Shakespeare because I was smoking weed as a 15-year-old and then I cracked it open and was like, what the fuck? Like, you have this moment of reading Shakespeare, you're reading Hamlet, and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, because somebody had tried to, like, start me out with, like, Midsummer's Night Dream. Uh -huh. And I'm like, that's a good book or, like, a good play, but it's like you don't really get, this like, the, um, <laughs> I guess, like, the weird depravity of Shakespeare, right? Like, you don't quite get into it. Sure. So uh, Hamlet was the one where I was, like, smoking weed 15 and I was like, my brain like exploded. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best fucking shit I've ever read. And like, <laughs> I think Paradise Lost should go in the hand of every teen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially queer teens. Give them Paradise Lost. They'll get it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Except for me. I didn't quite get it. But <laughs> time passed. Well, not getting it is part of the fun. Like it's a text that's purposely being difficult um, and sort of trying to, that's why I did the podcast because I was like, no, like, People should have a way to figure out what this means that isn't waiting for some 80-year-old with a Latin degree to, like, quote-unquote, <laughs> explain it to you and take out all the queer stuff. Oh, my it's God. Like, no, it's like, 
It's about these angels who are neither sex and both. And the way that this sort of same sex desire sort of is the engine of creation until women show up. And like, it's like this amazing mess. (laughs) Milton was himself a very queer figure. He was, he had this like long, beautifully kept hair at this moment in history where men absolutely did not do that. His nickname in college was the Lady of Christchurch College. Like he was very, <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. very androgynous presenting his whole life. Um, fascinating. And like his great love affair was with another man, Charles Diodati, who is the guy whose house like Frankenstein was written in. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah, wild. Well, what's more gay than being the house that Frankenstein Yeah, John Byron in, and frankly. Mary Shelley chilling out in the house, exactly. <laughs> Hating each other from what I can tell. But yes, yeah. I love that too. That's who they are. I would hate Byron too, so I'm with you. You know, I get it. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, this is, once again, we could do seven hours. We could do it. But we're going to go ahead and clip it a little uh-huh. bit. Um, I wanted to ask because, you know, I guess we're not going to get to Hulkling and Wiccan too much this episode, Uh but that's okay because you wrote multiple stories of Hulkling and Wiccan so people can go read it and then we'll have more questions next time you come on. Oh, yeah. But for now, I wanted to ask, you just got finished dropping this book that from what I can tell is like this culmination of a lot of the things that you've been working through literally your entire life. Uh-huh. So I have a question, which is, do you, what do you see coming next? Because it's like, do you believe in life after love, Anthony? Uh, like, that's my question for you. Yeah, <laughs> and you said no, yeah, but also yeah, yeah, do yeah. you? Um. Yeah, I have a a few, I have some smaller projects that I'm working on and then I've got my eye on the next big one. So I'm, I have a story that I'm working on right now for the I Want That Twink Obliterated anthology. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The line comes from uh, that Wattpad comment that's clearly from porn, but I put it in a Wiccan and Hulkling story (laughs) and now we're doing a whole anthology about like (laughs) queer sci-fi aesthetics I literally did a a Zoom call with Ryan North like yesterday about this Mm. because I decided this story has to be a choose your own adventure. And Ryan is like the great expert on choose your own adventures. He wrote like, actually, it's sitting right here next to me to be or not to be the Hamlet choose your own adventure. Um, (laughs) So much fun. And I was like, Ryan, I have this idea. And so we were talking about it. Um, So that's the next thing on my plate. Um, I'm working on an opera right now with a friend of mine, uh, Carl St. Lucie, who did Dick's the Musical. Um, wait, wait, go back. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain. Okay, first of all, Dick's the Musical, check it out. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also, what? You're writing an opera? What? I do not know anything about music, but fortunately, if you saw Dick's the Musical, you know, Carl knows a lot about music. Um, so we decided we wanted to do something. So we're in the early stages of that. Um, it's very, I, the music is stunning. Carl is just such a genius. Um, so we're working on that together. Um, but those things take a long time. So who knows? <laughs> uh, but the next project, though, is the, you asked about, do I believe in love after, life after love? And I do think I'm working on the very early stages of the second book. Um, and I do think it's kind of about the obverse of this first one. Um, so I want to talk about how destructive love can be. Um, and when you think about the destructive qualities of love, I think you start thinking about vampires. So I might be working on a vampire book. So we'll see. <laughs> um, 
No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is all I have to say about that. I just got finished rewatching Interview with a Vampire from the 90s. Oh, shoot. Oh, my God. What? Uh, speaking of Cher, I was actually, like, hey. Did you know that the studio thought that movie was too gay? So they were like, we're going to turn Louie into a woman, and it's going to be Cher. Uh, and Cher got really excited, and she wrote a beautiful <laughs> song for Interview with a Vampire. And they were like, uh, we're going to make it Brad Pitt. And she's like, well, <laughs> no. you can't have my song. Um, but the song is amazing. When I did a screening <laughs> of Interview with the Vampire, uh, I got a local musician to re-engineer the song out of like the disco pop song she turned it into and turn it back into a like gay ballad. So pretty. Um, uh. And check that out. Give that a Google, everybody. <laughs> Oh, my God. I am just losing it. First of all, I didn't know any of that. And that's amazing. But also (laughs) rewatching Interview with the Vampire, I was like, this is too gay, actually. Like not as a gay person, right? It's like you watch it and you're just like, Louie, you're that bitch. (laughs) Like, I know you. You're that bitch. And like you are so attracted to these like evil dudes. And it's just like so appealing kind of to watch this play out. But I really was stunned by just re-watching it and being like, everyone was lying to me about everything when I was a kid because people <laughs> told me that this wasn't a gay movie. And I was like, this reminds me of when people told me that Xena wasn't gay and Xena was gay as fuck. Oh, shit, so yeah. like, I don't know. You watch back this shit and you're just like, damn, yeah. weird time. But also you do the, you host movies. So I was, I guess we have to, <laughs> we have, real quick, we have to talk about your relationship with movies because we have so, so many uh, screenings that you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're in Toronto, you should come out to Dumpster Raccoon Cinema out in the West End at the Review. Uh, it's once a month. It's a screening program I do that um, is me and my friends who are all like drag and burlesque and singers, performers, and we do... We do a trashy classic. I love to, it's called Dubster Raccoon because we go digging through the garbage to find something. Um, <laughs> and we screen, usually they're kind of queer, but not always, uh, these trashy classics. And it's so much fun. Um, we're <laughs> doing very well. We sell out almost every month. Uh, and yeah. uh, it's out of the review. And uh, this month we're doing the Cats Sing Along again uh, by, by popular request. Yes. <laughs> No, it was you. You're the one. Like, as soon as Cat bombed, or Cats bombed, you were there. Yes, You were, like, on the ground. It was, like, you, number one, we're going to take care of this. Like, we're going to make this a cult exactly. classic. Yeah. And it's all you. Like, you were the first person I saw doing that. And I was like, yes. I haven't even seen the movie yet, but yes. I truly think we caused the pandemic with my cat screenings. We just, like, opened the portal <laughs> to hell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> perhaps this comes out perhaps. in January so um, that's right w- so every January we do Haggy New Year which is our exploitation series so we're going to do Sunset Boulevard this year and then in February we're going to do He-Man Masters of the Universe and then yay. for Easter when my <laughs> book yay, comes but out yay. <laughs> oh yeah so good uh, when my book comes out for <laughs> Easter we're going to do a sing-along screening of Jesus Christ Superstar so Oh my if you're God. in Toronto, come join us for that. Yeah, I'm going to move to Toronto <laughs> just to be there. You also are like one of the people, one of my fellow Mask of the Phantasm stands oh, yes. who have been like, this movie is good, watch that it. That movie is the best. That movie's the best Batman movie. One of the best noir movies ever made, I think. Yes. Um, oh yeah. Did you see the poster we the did The soundtrack? That by Derek Charm. Stunning. Uh-uh. Oh, Look at our poster we did for that. Derek Charm did it. Okay. Just like, 
queer Bruce Tim, basically. Um, Yay! And it's so beautiful. He did like a four-color film noir homage for it. It's so stunning. I didn't deserve such a beautiful poster, but it looked great. Um, I, I'm so proud of that screening. It went so well. And like, shout out to Kevin Conroy, RIP, gay icon who passed this year. That yeah. movie is 30 years old. I can't believe it. Oh my God. Well, that must make me 40. No. And like, yeah, you just have those moments where you're like, oh shit, I am actually old. I had a moment. I went to a concert pretty recently and it was like someone who was like almost identical to like Grimes uh-huh. style. Yeah. And I was like, I did this already and like was mad. And it was like me and my friend just being such old ladies of like, this is not for me. Yeah. And like leaving the show. And I was like, this is fun. I love being old. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a very different interaction with a show that I'm used to. <laughs> I also am starting to feel like I'm not, I'm, I almost 40 and I feel like suddenly I'm like, I look around on the street and I'm like, I'm the oldest person on the block right now. And it's like, how did this happen? I'm like, I have so much fun with it. I'm like, if anybody has been happy to age, it's been oh, me. Yeah. I get to a place and I'm just like, thank God, 40. I feel like Aging I was 40 when I was two years yeah. old. And- <laughs> I know exactly. You're like, finally, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I just had to get way older and everything made sense. But fortunately, like Susan Sarandon, I've decided to stay hot forever. Smart. And I think that you might do the same thing, Anthony. So I'm I'm excited. I'm going to keep the moisturizing routine going. I have found that my like, my gender neutral way of talking about a group of people at some point became kids. Like, hey, kids. (laughs) 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 you kids it's like i can't pull off folks or y'all but i'm starting to get old enough to pull off kids yeah i'm from the midwest so i'm pretty good at folks but i gotta say kids is a nice one too and um (laughs) until you realize how how deeply you're offending the person just like you whenever you were 19 who was like don't call me a kid holding your teddy bear yeah yeah I'm a fully formed adult. I'm making bad decisions because I can. And you're just like, oh, no. I look back at my 20s like that's that's the dark ages, folks. <laughs> like, I wasted my 20s in academia, so I, I can't really. Nice. My 30s Good for were you. the dark time. My 30s were the, the, the rumble in the jungle moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm just like, oh, you met me when I was in my 20s. I'm sorry. Oof. Um, No. It's I, fine. I was a book nerd. The 30s were my Buffy season six. I guess that means now I'm in seven. Seven's a dark one. I'd rather not do seven. Yeah, I feel like I'm in like the comic book reboot, but like not even oh. when Joss Whedon was writing it, but when Jordi Belair was reading it. So it's like pretty good now. Oh, oh yeah. So you have that to look forward to. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll share. That's my what happens when you're 40. They just show, they sh- give you a copy of the trade paperback that Jordi <laughs> Belair wrote and, of Buffy, and you're just like, thanks. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> Oh my God, Anthony, I love talking to you. Every uh, every time I talk to you, it's just so good. It's the, good for my I heart. It's good for my soul. I am always delighted to chat with you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Um, I hope you enjoy your hibernation period, which is about to begin. <laughs> yeah, everybody has to know we're recording this in November, literally, because I'm going to go to sleep for two months. You're just <laughs> making your chrysalis until, <laughs> until the spring. It's just like... I remember there was like a two winters ago, I was in such a bad mood during the winter. And I was like, why are you in a bad mood? And it's like, because you want to be asleep and you're talking. 
you want to be drunk watching Ash versus the Evil Dead. You know, like you don't want to be having to make sense on a podcast. I only made somewhat sense here. So you can tell I'm going into that era. You're like that. What's that monster (laughs) guy from the X-Files who goes to sleep for 17 years? (laughs) Was it Tombs? That's you. I love that episode. <laughs> so that just happened to be like one of the three episodes that we had on VHS when I was a kid. So like I got it. I never realized, but I was, I was <laughs> I was really taking notes from Tombs because he's just like, I'm going to commit a few murders and then I go sleepy by. Yeah. And they're like, no. And he's like, I'm going sleepy by. Like, I'm done. You don't up have in, to be here. Up into your attic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My fingers are all stretchy and (laughs) it's cool shit. (laughs) Well, somehow that is me. All right, cool. Wait, wait, wait. So who are you on the X-Files? I don't know who I was, but I had a huge cry check crush. Like the, (laughs) like I love a bad Tom of Finland boy with his black goo coming after Mulder. Oh, then you're the character that dies, right? Because you're in the room with cry check. Like everybody gets killed because they like associate with that Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's bad. But like, I love that. Like, it's right before writers figured out, like, oh, the kids, like, when it's gay and horny, like, it was sort of an accident, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah, I love, I love that, that weird energy, those two, that, like, any, any, like, weightlifting lummox who gets covered, like, an Eddie Brock moment, like, I love that mm. shit. Um, I don't know that I related to any of them. I mean, I like sure. Mulder. Like, Mulder is a sweetheart. I like that kind of, in the early years, especially. Right. Do you think I'm spooky? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> oh my God. Well, tune back in and to our X Files podcast next time around, everybody. And uh, this has been wonderful. I love talking to you. As I said, it's wonderful. Everybody go by Dayspring. So we have a few things to pitch. You got to go get the Carol Danvers comic. It's called Captain Marvel, I hear. Yep. Go check Captain that Marvel out. Assault on Eden. Yeah. Yes. And then there are Hulkling Wiccan comics. Sure, yes. There's multiple. Um, we've got an Infinity comic that's the Young Avengers, Paradox Lost. Um, I did, yeah, a few Wiccan and Hulkling things, uh, Last Annihilation, stuff like that. There's, if you, it's it's kind of hilarious to me because I've told them multiple times, but for some reason it always reverts back on the Marvel.com. It misspells my last name. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you Google Anthony Oliveria, you will see some. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Uh, don't yes. do that though, because it will reinforce that misspelling. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't encourage the the well. The internet now, as we've discovered during this call and multiple times before, is actually useless these Literally. days. So Google ruined everything. You can't search a single thing. True so junk. It yeah, matter. it's true. But um, you can find you. I'm on somewhere. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about the great podcast. So there's a Patreon. Uh, do you have it memorized? Do you know the uh, You can find it on patreon.com slash Mia Koopa. Or you can just type my name and it'll be one of the links. Or... The Devil's Party is actually now public-facing, so you can listen to all the Revelations episodes if that's your jam. Um, Wherever fine podcasts are listened to. Um, But yeah, if you want to support us on Patreon, there's also like a special discussion episode, every episode on Patreon, so you can check that out. Um, And it's a great way to support me. Uh, Also, please order my book because pre-order sales are so important, so please do that. (laughs) 
please order this book because I'm already eyeing the sequel. So I got to, we got to keep having books. Okay. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I don't have books to read. So it's uh, going to be a 40 plus year old woman wandering the streets. And I just don't think it's good. Well, I hope you like this one. It'll, it'll be a, a weird, fast, very queer reading, I think. Um, oh, we'll that's s- what I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird, fast, queer. Yes. All right. <laughs> check, check, check. That's everything I love. And all right. So the last thing, I guess, is like, do you have social media that you would like people to follow you on? I do. Although if this thing is going in the vault for two months, who knows if there's still a <laughs> Twitter knows? in two months? <laughs> I'll have 17 new ones then. Yeah. Like. I'm on um, Twitter and Blue Sky and uh, Instagram and Patreon at Mia Koopa, M-E-A-K-O-O-P-A. It's a bad Latin Super <laughs> Mario joke. Um, or Anthony Oliveira, just type that in. And I'm usually, I am unfortunately not the one with the world record for squatting. Um, I wish I had <laughs> his butt, um, but I am the other one. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> the one who's not him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I you always call it a bad joke, and I still chuckle every time I see it. It's a so slow I'm burn. Say it's, just people have been following me for burn. ten years who didn't get the joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, well, everybody, follow Anthony on everything. Most importantly, order all of his books because why not? Let's make this man rich. Yeah, like, well, let's, do let's, it. let's just let's not go that far. I don't think that's likely. <laughs> 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 We're like billionaires are terrible, except for Anthony. Let's get him some money. I don't know. It, it, I don't think anyone gets rich from books, but it would be nice books. if I got to write another one. Yeah, <laughs> usually you're you're rich, and then you get a book deal that also makes an ungodly amount of money. Right. Sure. Regardless yeah. of whether people are read it or not, <laughs> because. I don't even know. We're all just money laundering schemes at this point. Yeah, it's true. Of course, I was going to end on that note. I I always am like, oh, don't let me end on a bleak note. And then it's just like two seconds before the call ends. I'm like. (laughs) It's hibernation time. You got to end. You got to enter your chrysalis gracefully. What's your cocoon cocoon sentence? All right. I'm going to end this call, but only because I have to. All right. So (laughs) thanks to everybody. You're listening to Bitches on Comics, distributed by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Find more shows like Bitches on Comics by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you for listening to Bitches on Comics. We are a bi-weekly podcast where we talk to your favorite comics and pop culture creators and critics about what matters to them in comics and pop culture, as you might have guessed. You can follow us on Twitter at at Bitches on Comics and on Instagram at at Bitches on Comics. Our website is, brace yourself, bitchesoncomics.com. If you go there, you can listen to any of our episodes and we've got other shit that we put on tabs. I don't remember what it is. I am in charge of updating the website, however, so good luck. (laughs) Thanks for the heads up. I'll go to this website now. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the podcast by joining us on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash queerspec to learn more. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. 
I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. I'm Monica Estrella and you can find me at www.audreysrevenge.com or on Twitter at Audrey Revenge. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Sometimes investigative podcasts tell stories that seem almost too weird to be true. So just how wild can a fiction podcast following that same format get? You can find out on Conference Call, a Paradiso Media production presented by Realm. Conference Call follows journalist Charlotte Dunn as she uncovers the story of two entrepreneurs, the Toad Bros. Pieced together from the hilariously cringeworthy phone calls within their company, Charlotte details the incompetence, fraud, and betrayal of this eccentric pair and their unwitting partner who was just looking for her big break in Silicon Valley. Starring Elizabeth Henstridge, Jeff Ward, Gregory Stees, and Emma Roberts, and featuring guests like Karen Gillan, Beck Bennett, Dimi Dijuibe, and many more, Conference Call blends the workplace weirdness of The Office with the cadence of a true crime podcast. Be sure to listen and subscribe to Conference Call wherever you get your podcasts or learn more at realm.fm.